0: Thank you guys for joining me today. We have Alex here. This is Monica. She's one of our volunteer pastors. She's on the board. And I invited them to be part of this journey today as we talk about authenticity. And we re reimagine authenticity. And we got to spend quite a bit of time this week together talking about it. And you guys are, which I didn't even put together when I first was asked you guys, you guys have some very different backgrounds. And so, Monica, why don't you tell us a little about your background, your upbringing, and, it, you know. Sure. That'd be great.
1: Sure. Well, like m- most of us in the room, my upbringing was greatly influenced by the upbringing uh, my parents experienced. And um, they actually, each in different cities, grew up in church attending homes. Um, but um, each of their fathers was, uh, or were, really well respected um, in their church communities. Um, but who they were at church was not who they were in their homes. Mm. And so uh, my mother's father was um, a real Scrooge, not very generous, um, but in public at his church, he really enjoyed giving off the appearance of wealth and and giving. Um, My father's father, um, again, charming man, well-respected in his church community, but at home he was the stereotypical traveling salesman. Um, He was an alcoholic, he was abusive, and a womanizer. And so when my two parents then found one another and started to make a family, one of the things they agreed was um, that they, they were not going to engage in the hypocrisy that they had seen in the church. And so the home I grew up in was godless. Yeah. Um, we weren't atheists, but um, we had no time for religion.
0: Yeah, and, and Alex, you grew up in a whole different atmosphere. yeah i mean it's it's backwards just flip that coin over and that was
2: me like my parents grew up in an irreligious home both of them and um when they decided to start a family they decided to go to church and so i was steeped in the church i was born into the church i went to kids camp and youth camp and private christian school and the the whole thing anything you can think of that a church kid should be a part of that was me And uh, my parents did that for all four of us kids. And that's just how I grew up. I grew up in the church with churchy stuff. Did you do choir? I did choir, but I didn't really like it.
1: Choir was the one church thing I did in third grade because my parents figured out that they could drop my brother and I off at the local church. Yeah, there's some good, so good. good aspects yeah. of yeah. church. Yeah, I love it. and so that's actually where I first heard the gospel was learning to sing Christmas hymns.
0: That is so funny. Now, now with these upbringings, you guys both had views of things. Your view of Christians, so I'd love to hear your view, and your view of the world, as we call it, right? So growing up in that way, when you get yes. into high school and middle school, all that, like what was your view of Christians, Christianity, and yeah. how did that affect you?
1: Pretty much a waste of time. Hmm. Um, we, My brother and I were taught to be thinkers and um, push back on pretty much everything, which included my parents, actually. Yeah. But um, And uh, to stand on our own in, in my house, if you couldn't take care of yourself, it was, you know, so sad, too bad. Um, and so... And you
0: achieved a lot. I mean, you you're, you were a great student, jobs, yeah. things like that. Well,
1: that's where my identity was. Right. And right. that's where I, I got affirmation, yeah. was it being the best yeah. at whatever it was that I was doing. Yeah. So, um, But along the way, I had friends, usually through school, um, uh, well, I thought they were friends, who would take me on as a project. So it, it followed the same pattern. Um, I'd be befriended. Um, I'd get the invite to a sleepover, which included church the next morning. Um, I would go <laughs> always
0: Saturday night. I'm not doing no more Saturday yeah. night sleepovers.
1: Yeah, you know what? It was kind of entertaining. Yeah. You know, I liked, like I said, I pushed back on everything, and yeah. that included host parents sometimes. Right. So, um, and but then when I gave the no, you know, oh, no, this isn't for me, um, the friendship, 99 times out of 100, that was the end of that. So what I experienced was this ongoing rejection from the Christian community, yeah. um, not the least of which happened with a study partner I had in algebra. Um, we'd go to her house. We'd sit at the kitchen table. We'd work on our algebra. And um, a couple visits in, um, I noticed her mom kind of prodding me with questions a little bit and uh, come to find out that, um, you know, questions about my Upbringing and my family and the church we attended, and um, I was of the world, and uh, her daughter was forbidden from hanging out with me anymore. Yeah, and, one and thing I d- didn't smoke or anything. Yeah,
0: and, 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 and one thing you talked about is how much you could have used the family, like a, a, a loving yeah. family, to Absolutely. bring you in. I know, I know my upbringing. There was a family named the Deals that my, my family imploded, divorce and alcoholism and everything, and they were the family. And you know, I got to tell them. 10 or 15 years later, how much they meant, they never knew, you know, so, but Alex, you
2: had the view of the world,
0: right? So I was the,
2: I was the family that was interviewing the friends and yeah. finding out if they were good enough yeah. to hang out with and if Warm they went to church. about people like <laughs> yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. We so still. I just grew up with this, this, um, just this heaviness that was just kind of ingrained in me that the world was evil and mm-hmm. that the world was out there and that the world was something else. The world was something that needed to be saved the world was something that could drag me away from God, that I yeah. could lose my relationship with God by being too involved in the world. It was this big, bad thing that I was to stay away from. And yeah. that's kind of the way that I grew up.
0: Yeah, did you ever do the uh, stand on a chair in youth group and who can pull, the person's gonna pull for you sure, down before sure. you and get I mean, pulled up. When
2: you say projects, I mean, that's literally, I had projects, Yeah. You know, I, had, I had this weight. I remember youth pastors just like trying to get me to go witness trying to get me to go share my faith, trying to go get me to go make converts. I had, I had a season in my life where I had to go door knocking and I hated every stinking minute of it. Right. I felt so inauthentic. I felt, I hate this. No one, I would never open my door to someone right. <laughs> who was knocking on the door to try and tell me about a religion. Yeah, I
1: see from the perspective of, person Of the world, what a waste of time. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. hey, we were on
2: the same
0: page. Yeah. You know, but you became a Christian in your yes. early 20s, and, yes. and that started an interesting journey for you going to church and seeing hypocrisy still, but then something happened over the next 10 years. Yes. Well, why don't you tell us about that?
1: Well, um, I got married, for one thing, yeah. and um, to an amazing man whose name happens to be Steve, but yes. we'll refer to him as Steve the More Handsome. Yeah. Well. And. Um, <laughs>
0: I think just all Steves are handsome. It's just kind of how it works, right? So any Steves out there, woo, yeah.
1: Anyway, um, and uh, and he comes from uh, a background much like Alex's. And so um, I had been a believer just for about a year when we got married, um, and we knew we needed to be in a church. And so we started attending his parents' church. Um, This was after trying to attend, um, the church that he had found in our college town where I was completely rejected because I hadn't come to know the Lord the right way. Mm. Um, so, but as a married couple, we found a church that was more welcoming and, um, and there was still, you know, a lot of doing the, the experience I had with God at conversion was, uh, a lot about love yeah. and, um, but this was now my family. This was the family of God. And so I not only drank the Kool-Aid of do it right, um, I got really good at making the Kool-Aid and um, took that brain and started teaching and repeating um, the things that I pretty much was told I was supposed to.
0: Yeah. And and that was an interesting journey because you kind of came to the Lord by like really kind of reading and, and reading the life of Jesus and then going to church and going, this doesn't look like the life of Jesus. And, it, and and then getting kind of converted. It's almost like a double conversion into that kind of world. and
1: I think I lost Jesus. I lost Jesus hmm. um, on the path of what I thought the church was supposed yeah. to be, my yeah. interpretation of that.
0: And then Alex, you kind of have a journey in your life, not it never really became a super rebellious kind of person, a little bit here or there, but got even more involved, but then some stuff happened to you that kind of really impacted your life.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just kind of continued my journey into the church. Like you said, had a couple little things here and there where I went off and did my own thing for a little bit, but I got more and more involved in volunteering and uh, learned how to play the guitar and, you know, just started repeating these things that I had learned and became a youth pastor yeah. and then got into more things like this and then started helping with church planning. And then I got involved in a church that. Was just a rocket ship of a church. I mean, it was just crazy. It went from just like a garage to a thousand people in just a few years. And um, one of the most incredible journeys I've been on. Made some of the best friends I've ever made. um, Saw some of the most authentic relationships that I've ever been a part of. And then the whole thing just fell apart. Yeah. Because leadership just, the, the most. The, the worst of the, the, worst, worst. the worst, the worst like, like, of the worst, the worst things that we
0: hope we never. We hear a lot of it yeah. happened right in your you know, midst, and, and you just, were on staff at that. I was on church. staff, yeah. and it just <clears throat> devastation.
2: Really, kind of just. <clears throat> I think it just kind of like reignited something inside of me that had always been there, and that was these these feelings of like, just some doubts, some yeah. issues, some questions that I had. You know, Monica, when we were talking, you had originally said that the one of the reasons you didn't like Christians because they didn't think. And and I I'd be honest like I think I was one of those Christians that just didn't think, yeah. I just had some stuff that got baked into me when I was two and three and four and five and fifteen and seventeen, and I didn't know why I believed it. Yeah, you know I That's struggled. Easy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's easy you know for that to happen and but those those um I, God's so faithful and He does bring those situations and those seasons to I think invite us to reexamine our relationship yeah. with Him and I I know that. Well, that And that happened what,
0: to you. So, you, so yeah. you're on a journey of authenticity. Some stuff happened, you know, good stuff, you know, but it got you thinking. Tell us about kind of this journey when that began to shift and change. And,
1: yeah. Well, so it was four stuffs. Four stuffs. Um, four kids born to us. <laughs> yeah. And not at the same time, thank God. Um, but, uh, and, and we had a couple others come through our home over the years. And um, and we, we raised them in the church, much like your upbringing. Um and then we came, uh, there was one thing, though. They were definitely our kids because they were thinkers. Yes. And um, I know
0: your kids, and they are definitely thinkers.
1: <laughs> and they're independent. Yes. And um, they... Don't you hate
0: when that happens? You're all, oh, no, no. they're like me. No. I, I do
1: not, actually. <laughs> I, no, but, we love it. Yeah. So, but we started hitting some bumpy things with some of our kids, and one in particular um, kind of pushed Steve and I to seek counsel from some um, older, wiser parents in our church, and um, and, and to be clear, you know, the, this this kid was on a really challenging path, and and we were concerned um, for life and limb, so to speak. So, and the response that we got, the counsel we got, was that it was time, and here's the throwback word: oh, yeah. time for tough love. Yeah, it was. He he uh, had wandered. And it was time to just cut the strings and, and let him go and learn from the consequences of his actions. Um, that, Steve and I wrestled with that. Um, I went off to pray one day about it and what our relationship should look like. And um, I suddenly became aware that um, I had become a Pharisee
0: hmm.
1: and that I had laid that on my kids. And all I could think about was that where Jesus talks about not putting a millstone around the neck. Um, or, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, um, I found myself asking the question what does love look like in this situation to this kid and my other kids? Mm-hmm. And that began a journey yeah. um, that hasn't stopped. That's yeah. been quite a few years ago. Yeah.
0: And you, just through your. St- things changed for you too. You yeah. kept involved in church. I mean, you you had all the reasons to bail, but totally. you kept there, but but you started getting passionate about certain things. Yeah, and I
2: think it was, it's, it's very similar to what does love look like? We had this conversation. It's like, I think I, I asked the question, like, what does Jesus look like hmm. in my own life? And I don't think Jesus looked like some of the things that were baked into me as I was growing up. Yeah. And so I had to really wrestle with that stuff. And I, and I, I feel like I'm, I've come out the other side a little yeah. bit, like just a lot more secure in my faith, a lot yeah. more secure in some of the things that I believe about Jesus and very excited about the life that he calls me to. Yeah,
0: and even in that, and I want to thank both of you because even you, t- this week when we spent time together, you talked about even in that church, it was so community folks you loved, it was still feeding the Kool-Aid. And I think from that, it opened you up to be you. And we read similar things. This is one of my kindred spirits here when it comes to just thought and and talking about things. And thank you. And, and he also one thing, Alex is, he's our fun guy. He says, man, his authenticity is have fun in life. And he brings that to this church and he wants that in this church. And just thank you for that. You've taught me a lot about that. And Monica, you know, you still are a very systematic thinker and your love for the word and study for the word. But you asking that question, what does love look like is so apparent in your life. And I know you guys have faced backlash because of these things. You, you deal with stuff, people going like, oh, warning you now, warn your kid. Now it's warn you. And you guys have just taken that and journeyed with that. And thank you for being part of what we're doing here at Rancho. So let's give them a hand and thank you guys so much. Authenticity is not easy. You know, authenticity is not easy to to grab hold of and to to really live the way you want to live and be who you really are. And it, it really struck me last week. I was at VBS last week and I think I was around 650 of the little human beings that are just authentic right? The one kid that grabs the water gun and just takes off running, give me that back. No! I'm like, well, he's being himself, right? And, like, and as you get older, that begins to change. Because last, year, last week, there was also like 100 adventure guides, and those adventure guides are teenagers. I don't think teenagers feel as free to be who they are as the little munchkins do, right? All of a sudden, they have things to worry about. School, sports teams, family, and church. I remember 20 years as a youth pastor, you would kind of challenge kids. You'd always hear this idea that, oh, they act differently at school than they act at church. So the challenge was don't be a hypocrite. And then probably 15 years into being a youth pastor, I realized, what if where they are being a hypocrite is actually at church? What if who they really were was what they're at school? And when they come to church and they hear like, you should act like you do here, there. I mean, what a difficult situation and journey to be in. And it doesn't get any easier as we get older. I think we think we're more free to be ourselves, but we're probably not when you become adults. Still a lot of pressure, right? A lot of pressure at work, a lot of pressure at home, a lot of pressure in our lives, what we're gonna do. And you know what? Church can be one of the most difficult places to feel free to be yourself. It can be one of the most difficult places to feel free to be yourself. Man, the pressure can be so great to conform, right? To conform, to to adapt, to talk in certain ways, to take stands in areas of things that you might not agree with, right? Because the whole church is on the same boat. To believe things that maybe you struggle with believing, Add to that just the daily struggle of relationships, circumstances, just emotional, mental health. And there's so much going on. I saw a cartoon this week, kind of remind me of that. Have you, ever, have you ever felt this way going to church? Go take a mask, put it on, welcome. And then the pastor says, I want y'all to feel free to get really vulnerable with each other today. Ever felt that where the pastor has a mask on as well? I mean, that just struck a chord. So many times, this is how we feel. And here's the kicker for me. For many, it's the fear of God that has been instilled in us from an early age that can make authenticity scary. We've been raised, warned, right? That God is looking at you. God sees you. Ooh. whoo! That can be a huge load. I mean, isn't that what the Bible's about? The Bible's about warning you, warning you to act Right? warning you to believe right or else you will be rejected. That's often what the message is. And it can be very scary. And no doubt that kind of stuff you see in the Bible, right? But remember what this series we're doing this summer is is called. It's about re-reimagining a world according to Jesus. We're re-reimagining a world according to Jesus. And that's what's important. A few years ago, one summer, I decided just to just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over again. That's all I was gonna read out of the Bible for the summer and just keep reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you don't know, that's called the Gospels. That's where you'll find the life and the teachings of Jesus. It's the first four books of the New Testament in the Bible. And I did, I read that over and over again. And all of a sudden, a question, as I was reading it, all of a sudden, a question popped into my mind. And this is what I focused on. What upset Jesus? I don't know why that stood out to me. He rolls overturns tables. He seems pretty gnarly at times going after people. And I wanted to know what upset him. And one of those chapters that has always stood out to me is Matthew 23. This is the chapter where Jesus goes off, man. He goes off, but who does he go off to? And I think it's important that we think through his, these, these woes, these warnings that Jesus warns. Let's take a look at verse one in Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, these are all probably Jewish people out here listening to him, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit at Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything that they tell you. If you're in this religious system. You feel this obligation, you must obey them. They're the religious leaders, but check out what he says. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads. They put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move. Whew. That's pretty heavy. Don't do what they do. They are burdening you. They're burdening you. And then he goes on in verse 13 Woe to you! He starts talking right to them Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. That is a powerful statement. You are closing the doors to the kingdom of heaven. You think you're just warning or whatever you're doing as a hypocrite, you're shutting the door. And look at what he goes on to say. You yourselves do not enter, nor you let those enter who are trying to. There's people trying to enter and you won't let them. You won't let them. So many rules, regulations, and hoops to jump through. And when they do come in, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when they become one, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. That's a pretty heavy statement. So not only are you not letting people get in, but when they finally jump over all the hoops of your legalistic rules and regulations, they become twice the children of the devil than you are. It's like, if you, I've known pastors that I'm okay with, but the people that follow them are real pains. You know, it's like like when Monica said, I just didn't take the Kool-Aid, I began becoming a great maker of the Kool-Aid, right? I became even worse off. Matthew 23, uh, and then in verse 23 and 24, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a 10th of your spice, mint and dill, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. We talked about this last week justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat. You look at these laws and rules and regulations. Oh, y'all must follow this. You must do this. But you swallow a camel. What's he saying? You are more about the law than love. You are more about holding people accountable to this stuff than helping and caring for them. That's a pretty heavy accusation. And in Matthew 23, 25, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Now note, it's not just about being a hypocrite. It's not just about being a hypocrite. Man, I hear that so much. Oh, we're hypocrites, they're hypocrite. We're a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites, right? I mean, what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about hypocrites? Because that could be a burden that you carry. I know early on in my Christian life. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. Oh, I'm driving this. Oh, I must be a hypocrite. I go to church and I praise the Lord, and then I'm doing this. I'm struggling with this. Oh, I must be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. It's not just saying that. What is Jesus saying? Is he trying to heap burdens on you and me just to heap those burdens? When in reality, what he's talking about is people that are re- using their religious power, their religious prestige, to oppress other people to close the door of the kingdom on them or to make them twice the children of the devil as they are. That's the hypocrite. That's what he's talking about. That's what these people are doing. Here's how I concluded it, that Jesus strictest warnings were directed to those who were making it difficult for others to come to God. Let that sink in. They were making it difficult for others to come to God, read through the life and teachings of Jesus read through when he begins to rebuke or challenge. It is always to the religious leaders. It's to those that are making it difficult for people to come to God. And the early church, I think, started to grasp that. In the book of Acts in chapter 15, they had a council because non-Jews were coming into the church. What do we do with these Gentiles? They haven't been, ever been in the church. Now they're coming in as followers of Jesus. What do we do? And they concluded in Acts 15:19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Ah, let's not make it difficult. And you know what? I personally don't think that stuck real well over the years. Might have worked for a while, but whoo, there's some history where it can get tough again. You don't believe the same thing. We're going to kill you and and literally kill you. Here we are sitting now with some 25,000 different denominations. We don't do this real well. We don't do this real well. A huge list of doctrines that you, that so much, you go to a certain place, here's our doctrines. Do you follow these or do you not follow these? This is who we are. And You can just go search for churches, right? Go through the doctrinal statement. And I go, oh, no, I don't believe that. I'm going to go over here. No, 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 no. People love it. They get on ranch and go, you don't have enough doctrinal statement because we're a diverse community of friends, right? We're trying to focus on other things. It's hard. Or a list of rules to follow and live by. And there's leaders Throughout history, leaders that can speak with such passionate, challenging rhetoric that you feel overwhelmed, right? You can feel overwhelmed to follow, to believe like they believe no matter what, to be in the in crowd. This is who we are, you in or out. And now many people love and thrive in those kind of settings. I get it, man, we love and thrive. I did, I was in that kind of setting where I got saved in the first church I went to, I loved it. You know, I felt like, man, I got accolades because I'm right in line, it didn't matter. But as I started thinking, it got more difficult. As I started thinking the way I think, you know, which is pretty difficult. But a lot of people thrive in that. They love being at a place that everything's buttoned down. We have it all figured out. Here's our 15 page doctrinal statement of where we are. This is where you are not. And I'm not putting that down. It's amazing churches doing amazing things that fall into that category. But some of you here today, some of you listening online today, that has not been the safest environment for you. Maybe because of the things you struggle with. Maybe because of maybe some of the thoughts and the struggling with belief and trust and that kind of stuff. Maybe it's become difficult for you. Maybe you question things too much or you feel you just don't fit the mold. And whenever you went to church you felt like these woes were at you because you didn't just uh inside you knew I'm not here. Well I think it's time to reimagine Jesus woes as being directed at those Jesus was talking to the religious leaders using their power over others. I think that's the first thing we need to reimagine. We need to let that sit. We need to let that be who Jesus was talking to because that's who he was. It's not talking. He was not just talking to normal people like you and me, right? Normal people like you and me, where we wrestle with the pressures of life, where we struggle at times with what we believe and what we think we believe, right? Or we feel like all we do is fail over and over again. Okay, I got to step back because I misspoke. I misspoke. I don't think those woes are talking to you, but I do think he's talking to me. Here I am today spewing out my rhetoric to you. Are you buying it? Are you taking it? Every week we get up here and do it. I do think he's warning me. I need to take those woes seriously. I'm the one that can make it hard for you to get to God or not. Because we come ready to listen. And this is just how we do church. I understand that. And you know what? I'm often told by people that I don't warn you enough. I make it too easy. There's too much love and grace going on around here. What about the woes? Well, we talked about the woes. And I get challenged that I need to be more like that. But you know what? That would not be authentic of me. (laughs) I'm just gonna be honest with you. That would not be authentic of me for me to do that. Number one, it'd make me feel like who Jesus was talking about 2,000 years ago. And I don't really want to be that person. I don't want to be that person. But because you know what? I wrestle with the pressures of life as well. I wrestle with the pressures of life as well. I struggle at times with believing in what I believe. Oh, you don't want to know what goes on in Steve's head. What I'm thinking of when I wake up at two in the morning. And you know what? I oftentimes feel like I'm failing over and over and over again. But here's what I want you to hear today. This is my authentic self, as as, as authentic as I can truly be honest with you today. Hmm. I feel in the midst of that, so accepted and loved by God that that's what drives me every day. I feel so deeply accepted, at love, and at peace with God. It is not the fear of God that drives me. I'm just going to be honest. I don't feel a fear of God. I try. Think of the seraphims and they're looking at, rah, you know, and they're screaming in front of the throne room of God. Rah! What are they feeling? And I just go like, I just don't got it. The love of God seen through Christ has so changed everything I think and how I think. That's what moves me the most. And I cannot be authentic if I just don't share that with you. That's why I'm stuck on grace and mercy, justice and love. That's why. Because that's what gets me. That's what moves me. It's the love of from God. It's the love from God. I made sure I said that. It's not my love to God that drives me. It's his love to me. That's what drives me. And you know what else? It's love from many of you out there that are part of my life. That's what gets me. The verse that sticks in my head is Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the message I hear from Jesus every day of my life. In the midst of my struggles, in the midst of my feeling like a failure, whatever it might be, I'm not driven by the fear of God. I'm driven by his love. I am driven by love. And how I desire Rancher to be a place where we can just live free, right? Live free right here on the shirt. That we can live free, so trusting and believing that we're loved and accepted by God, that we can then love and accept others right here, right now, where we're at. Someone sent me a text. Oh, I knew I was gonna look at this right now and I shunt. of. Oh no, I got five more texts in the meantime. No, just kidding. He quoted this, the revolutionary thinking that God loves me as I am and not as I should be requires radical rethinking and profound emotional readjustment. Woo, I got that after last message the radical revolutionary thinking that god loves me as i am now not out as i could be i've heard that so much just to rest and be right here today and then do good together come together in that love and acceptance and now go out there and do good and change the world can you imagine a church where we can be authentic take our masks off and trust we are accepted and loved just as we are can you imagine that i want to I want to. I hope you do too. I think it's going to be the love of God that's going to drive that. And I believe for some of you here today, some of you listening today, it starts with your own heart. First, trusting that right where you're at is good. Okay. Right where you're at is where God is. Not where you think you need to get to. Where you're at. That is unconditional love of God where you're at that's what can empower our lives more than anything for God so loved the world right that he gave his only son and I love first John 14 there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear it's time it's time for us to see God's love as driven out fear It's not an easy journey, but it's a road worth traveling on. It's a road worth getting on. There's no destination, man. This is a journey day in and day out where mercy triumphs over judgment and love triumphs over fear.